Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nyga. Today, the official start of fall, the first day of autumn. But when did Georgia weather ever pay attention to the calendar? You step outside your house, probably anywhere in the state today, and the humidity uh, feels like it might as well be uh, mid-July. Nevertheless, we are moving toward cooler weather, if not toward cooler politics. So let's get started talking about our politics right now. It's Wednesday, which means Greg Bluestein, the political, one of the political reporters, a premier political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, joins us. How you doing, Greg? You're down in Milledgeville doing the show today. I am. I'm in beautiful Milledgeville. Uh, it's muggy down here, too. And I spoke to a college class last night, so I, I, I got to enjoy the downtown Milledgeville. Bluestein, you are indefatigable. You don't travel enough covering politics. You also go down to Milledgeville to speak to a college class. You are really, <laughs> you're tireless. <laughs> We're also joined today uh, by uh, Karen Owen, professor of political science from the University of West Georgia. You all know her well if you are regular listeners to the show. Hi, Karen. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. And Greg, thanks for well, attending th- these college classes. We appreciate guest speakers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get going. Hey, Greg Bluestein, so speaking of travel, you were in San Antonio with Stacey Abrams when she kicked off this national tour in which she is going to have conversations in various cities around the country um, about the politics of today. You wrote about it um, for uh, your newspaper, of course. Uh, she apparently talked to a sold-out crowd. People tried to get her to talk about running for governor. She wouldn't talk about that. Um, so give us some sense of how that how that event unfolded and what highlights you took from it. Yeah, this is part of a two-month-long tour that, that takes you from San Antonio to Brooklyn to Milwaukee is the next stop, ends in North Carolina. There's, there's no scheduled stops in Georgia um, yet. And, and it's not necessarily a book tour. It's, it's a, it's, the sheet right. is, they are, they are selling books. Um, but that what intrigued me, this is part of a, a conversation on politics. And, is, and, and the conversation I witnessed was freewheeling. It was a local TV personality. I'd taken it, it's like the Bill Nygut of San Antonio, um, very well-known uh, TV anchor there. And, um, and she just let off a conversation. She was told that she was instructed not to talk about the gubernatorial race or, 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 or Stacey Abrams' White House ambitions, but they're very well-known, right? She's widely expected to get into the governor's race, and um, she's made it very clear that she wants to be president one day. So that, that kind of part was bypassed, but there's lots of talk about her ideological approach, her background. It was, there's lots of jokes in the first half of the, um, of the discussion all about you know, her experience showing cattle, showing a cow at a, uh, at a livestock competition down in Perry. Um, her, her first work as a, uh, teaching horseback riding to kids when she was a teenager in Mississippi, all that kind of stuff, uh, that, that showed a personal side of Stacey Abrams that the audience just, just loved because they, these were thousands of fans of Stacey Abrams anyway. And here they are hearing a side of her that they didn't know. She, um, you, you had an interesting, um, observation in your story. Um, the anchor woman you mentioned, uh, said, 
uh, that she herself doesn't vote because she feels it would be um, uh, in, in, contrary to her journalistic ethics. By the way, I think that's simply wrong-headed thinking. Journalists are citizens. We certainly should take advantage of our right to vote. But what was interesting about that is the audience, you say, started to kind of jeer the anchor woman, and Stacey Abrams jumped in and really showed people how she feels about the effort to attract voters, right? Yeah, it was really intriguing because it was one of the first things that came up was that the anchor said, essentially, I don't vote. Um, and and she was trying to talk more and maybe explain her position. And the boos just started raining down. Boo, you should vote. You should vote. Right. This is because this was a crowd of, of people who were energized by Stacey Abrams' message to expand the electorate. So it's not an ex- ex- a thing you'd expect to hear right off the bat. But Stacey Abrams kind of raised her hand, quieted the crowd. And then said, look, when we instantly oppose someone's opinion, you're saying not that you're rejecting their opinion, you're rejecting them. Um, So she was trying to explain to this audience, many of whom are Democratic activists in a red state, you know, a a very red state uh, like Texas, um, that, hey, you can't just oppose the person right off the bat. You can't just oppose their ideas. You've got to find a way to talk to them. Karen, um, Republicans um, had a response to the beginning of this. Uh, tour Jeremy Brand of the Stop Stacy group, Greg reports, said this, quote, selfish Stacy is taking her misinformation campaign on the road for one simple reason, to build out a national no- donor network of left-wing radicals who will bankroll her next ill-advised run for public office. Um, so you can comment on that, but but I, I ask, I, I read that because, you know, we're all saying, when will the timing be right for Stacey Abrams to declare for governor? And the odd thing is, it isn't as if by not declaring, she's uh, stopping herself from being the target of Republicans who are going after her, right? That is correct. I think Republicans are assuming she's going to announce her candidacy, and so they're going to go on the attack and bring up this information about what she's doing. I don't think Stacey Abrams is unique in the fact that she's on a tour speaking nationally. Anyone who has aspirations to be in the White House usually writes a book, starts a tour around the nation to get people aware of who they are, their name ID goes up so that they can go into Iowa and and actually have a chance and some viability. So I think she's playing strategic politician, right? She's moving around and allowing everyone to know her political philosophy, where she stands, talk about the issues in some ways. But I think it levels here in Georgia the question of is she, when will she announce and what is she waiting upon? Because I think anyone, if suddenly she changes her mind and doesn't run, then you've got a field of Democrats who are going to have to say, okay, who do we put up into that contest? And, you know, I I think, too, this gubernatorial election has to be on the minds of the fact that it's in a midterm when sometimes turnout is less. And it's also a referendum on national politics. Voters are going to be asked what they support of the president, who, you know, what policies they are. And she's very, very smart to know if this is the right time. Is 2022 going to be the right time for Democrats, especially in a state that is purple? Oh, Greg, uh, if Karen's words would send chills up the back of Democrats 
who are, they have no alternative, as she herself just said. Yeah, you quote Chip Lake, who's been on this show in the past and is a GOP strategist, saying essentially if she doesn't run, it's going to create chaos for Georgia Democrats who want to be unified in their effort to unseat <clears throat> Brian Kemp, Greg. I mean, it, it, this is a, I, you, we can understand why Democrats might be getting a little anxious here. Yeah, and Chip's exactly right, because it would create chaos. There's no, you know, go-to alternative right now. You know, there's no one on the, there's lots of credible candidates who could, who, who would be formidable Democratic nominees, but there's no, there's no, everyone's exceeding the field to Stacey Abrams, and right now that's giving Republicans, uh, Brian Kemp, that, that edge, right? I mean, he, he obviously has his own primary challenges, but he's also got the powers of incumbency, and he's got a big head start, and only, the only person in Georgia who can kind of uh, close that gap in a heartbeat is Stacey Abrams, right? She could probably raise $10 million in the first two days of her campaign, given her fundraising powers. Um, so I'd say, you know, among, among rank-and-file Democrats, there's, there is some fretting, right? There's every so often you hear, um, I got texts yesterday from, from Democratic elected officials saying they, they're worried that she's 50-50, things like that. From senior Democrats, they all expect her to get in the race. So, so but look, you know, we're talking in September, qualifying six months away, and at this stage in the race in, in 2018, you know, in, in early 2017, both Stacey Abrams and Stacey Evans were in, although, of course, this is a completely different time for Stacey Abrams, where she has that entire field kind of frozen for her. All right. Um, so we'll move on from Stacey Abrams, uh, and we'll talk about another Georgia political a figure who is uh, in the news uh, for a, uh, in his case, for really launching what is a virtual book tour, and that's Brian, I mean, uh, Brad Raffensperger, Secretary of State. Uh, and and uh, he went on CNN last night and, uh, and tried to knock down Donald Trump's latest efforts to get the Georgia election results overturned. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But um, if you were listening to the show yesterday, listening to our radio station this morning, you know we are in the middle of our fall pledge drive, and that means we have, are taking a few minutes from each show. We're only doing this twice during Political Rewind. We used to do it more than that, but we know how much the content of this show matters to you. And it, it, if you do care about the conversations we have, we'd really appreciate whatever support you can give us to keep going. You know, uh, as I've said on a number of occasions, um, all of the production costs of Political Rewind and the other programs you listen to, Morning Edition, All Things Considered, are supported by uh, donations from uh, listeners. Um, and, and so to keep this show going, we need as much help from you as you feel it's appropriate for you to give. Here's how you can do it. University of West Georgia's Karen Owen, AJC political reporter Greg Bluestein on the show with me today. I'll make one comment about our pledge drive. You know, we've been on the air now seven and a half years on Political Rewind. We created the show back uh, that long ago. And one of the things I am really proud of, and I know matters to you who listen, in addition to the journalists from the AJC and other publications uh, and media outlets around the state who have done the show, we've built such a great team of political science professors from public universities in Georgia, people like Karen Owen, uh, from the University of Georgia, from Georgia State, um, from Georgia College, also from uh, the private universities like Emory, 
um, from uh, uh, historically black colleges, uh, Clark, Atlanta, Morehouse, and the like. And these are the people who I get a chance every day to listen to as they analyze what's happening in political news. And it means as much to me as it does, I think, to you to hear them. So uh, please support us if you can. Okay, Karen Owen. Uh, let me start with you on this. Uh, Greg Bluestein's not the only one who's got a book coming out. In fact, his now he's announced comes out next March uh, about the 2020 election. Brad Raffensperger has a book coming out too, Karen, and he started promoting it on CNN the other night. Uh, it's called Integrity Counts, and it's his take on how he resisted Donald Trump's efforts to uh, overturn the results of the Georgia election. Um, but Karen... He does this even as Donald Trump has, as recently as last Friday, written a new letter uh, to Raffensperger and Kemp saying there's evidence now of fraud that you must investigate and it's time to decertify the election. Karen, it's almost a year later. When does this stop? Well, I was going to say it seems like we're still living the 2020 elections. And I'm afraid that Greg's book and Raffensperger's are not the only books that will be out on this 2020 election. (laughs) Many more, I'm afraid, are there. And actually, as political scientists, we have worked to look at a lot of different states and what their elections look like in 2020 and how they were run. But here in Georgia, it is interesting that we've had multiple audits on this presidential election. No fraud evidence was found. That was reported. Raffensperger continues to talk about that. Yet the president, the former President Trump, still wants to be relevant. He still wants to have a conversation. He is obviously coming to Georgia this weekend. So this is part to put him back into the news, back into calling into questions about how he did not win Georgia, but he thinks he did. And I think the biggest takeaway for me is it's the perception. If you are going around Georgia, and Greg probably knows this as well as anyone as he's gone to rallies and different things, there are voters who are still, one, unsure of legally what's being fought in the courts about this election. And two, their perception is that there are irregularities, but they don't know what they are. They can't understand Mm. and express what that is. So all it does is just create less trust in our government and less trust in the elections, which I do think will affect the 2020, the midterms, the gubernatorial race and others as to who turns out to vote, who's going to be energized and which of the parties will really speak about that to their voters to get them to turn out. By the way, um, I talked about books. You're always working on something new yourself. I should give you a chance to mention that. Well, I was going to say I have a book chapter on the the Biden, you know, run here. So and his win, yes. <laughs> okay, thank you, Greg Bluestein. Let's listen to Brad Raffensperger uh, talking uh, on CNN the other night and uh, how he responded to this most recent claim by Donald Trump. I think uh, at some level he must know that he did lose the election because his, his advisors, his lawyers told him that he lost the election. But people are use elections in this narrative to really disrupt and destroy confidence in the election process. Why do you think Trump sent this letter now? Well, he's been leaning into and propagating the big lie, and he's been fundraising off this issue. I know he'll be here in Georgia this coming weekend. So you'd have to ask him what his motivations were. 
So uh, Greg Bluestein is talking to Aaron Burnett on CNN the other night, talking about the big lie. A uh, couple of things we can talk about in terms of that. Number one, uh, these days it's not easy to get elected in a primary as a Republican if you start talking about Donald Trump giving as uh, being a big, you know, pep- perpetuating the big lie is just a starting point. Yeah, and that's why that's why Secretary uh, Raffensperger is in so much trouble in next year's primary because obviously Trump has already endorsed Jody Heist, the congressman from out in uh, northeast Georgia, uh, to to succeed him in, as Secretary of State, and that gives Jody Heist a huge leg up. And look, I mean, this has been to those of us, to listeners of your show, to those close followers of politics in Georgia, uh, Trump's letter was just the latest in a series of escalating steps. He has not let go of his defeat in Georgia's election. It didn't just come out of the blue, right? He's been sending messages and his, his, his supporters have been echoing this sort of this lo- these lies about uh, election fraud in Georgia. And there are voters out there. I mean, look, if you look at one, the single, one of the biggest reasons that Republicans lost those January runoffs for the Senate were because hundreds of thousands um, in cl- tens of thousands just in, in northwest Georgia, but hundreds of thousands throughout the state of, of Republican Trump supporters stayed home during the runoffs, despite all the messaging about what it would mean for conservative politics going forward. And the fear for Brian Kemp and the other Republicans on the ballot is that in 2022 is that these folks will continue to stay home because of this these, these messages about election fraud. Um, in a related story, Greg, uh, we now have the Superior Court judge who has been dealing with the lawsuit about um, so-called uh, looking for, what, 100,000 plus ballots in, to be examined uh, to determine if there was fraud. Is that in Fulton County, if I got that right? And instead of just dismissing the case, the judge has, in fact, extended the time period by saying, I need more information. I need to see what GBI and the state election investigators have seen on this. So in, in one of those cases that Karen's talking about, that voters like me are all kind of confused about, um, that case is still alive and it got, kind of lends credibility to the people who wonder if there was any fraud, Greg. Yeah, the, the, the bipartisan election officials and, and voting rights activists are not very happy that that case is still alive. But yeah, the, the Superior Court judge um, uh, requested essentially more information, um, any sort of update from investigators involving allegations uh, of these counterfeit ballots. Um, and it's part of a lawsuit to inspect 100, close to 150,000 absentee ballots in Fulton County. Uh, again, state election officials, um, judges, uh, you know, federal and state officials have all said there's no indication of fraud, um, but this judge wants to wants to see if there's any sort of update on that. Karen, um, it's one thing to think about this in the context of how it will impact uh, what happens in our elections, primary elections in the Republican side and Democratic side, the general election next year. It's another thing to think about what it does to our very democracy. There is no question that moving forward, we are going to see increased um, responses by losers uh, that their elections were, uh, they lost by fraud. And the continuing undermining of uh, credibility in elections is something that people like you in your field have got to be terribly concerned about. 
Yeah, and I think it goes to the fact that we started when we were talking about Abrams and the journalist who didn't feel like she should be voting, like it wasn't her place, she wasn't involved. And then you made the statement, no, it is for citizens, no matter what your profession or your role, to be involved. And that's how a democratic republic has to survive. You have to have citizens trust and be involved and vote and expect that their votes count. You know, 2020, we have heightened this information about voter suppression, voter fraud, and the concerns related to our elections, but it wasn't new. Other candidates in 2018 and prior had raised concerns about votes not counting or concerns with absentee ballots. So we're hearing it more now, and we're seeing many more lawsuits because we had a president who, even before the election, came out discussing this as a potential concern. But it does really raise, I think, it should raise every person's uh, consciousness about what it means for America, how our system survives. How do we, you know, build that confidence back in so that everyone wants to go and vote and be active and participating. I will say, though, that we are also turning to where politics, and we see this because we eat, breathe, and sleep on politics, right? But it's becoming the national focus in religion, whereas if you looked, you know, 20 years ago, people were not this engaged. I mean, just recently I saw a report that now half of Americans can identify the three branches of government. That's up in 15 years where only a third of Americans could really identify the three branches of government. <laughs> you know, we are uh, hyperly involved in politics, and it's showing. <laughs> unfortunately, what the, one of those people is not the new senator from Alabama, Tommy Tuberville, <laughs> who wasn't able to differentiate among the three branches of government. All right, look, uh, we got to take our final pledge break of the show. We've got a lot to talk about when we come back, including a new Democratic candidate candidate uh, joining the Secretary of State's race. That'll be interesting to see unfold. Also, news about Herschel Walker's wife, uh, who uh, some thought may have voted illegally in the Georgia election last year. We'll do that and more. Uh, but first, once again, uh, here's your opportunity, if you have not uh, been able to support us in the past, to do it now. And if you do support us, thank you so much. We appreciate it so very deeply. Here you go. That was the last pledge break of the show. We'll take you right through the end of Political Rewind with Talk About Politics with Greg Bluestein and Karen Owen. Uh, one quick note. Um, today marks the 115th anniversary since the start of one of the most terrifying and um, um, little-remembered periods of time in Atlanta history. It was the beginning this day, 115 years ago, of the Atlanta race riots, where uh, white residents of Atlanta went on a rampage, killed perhaps as many as 25 or more African Americans, fueled by resentment. We're told in reporting on that event uh, by the fact that this, in Brownsville, a group of black residents who had really done well for themselves and created a community there, much like in Tulsa. So tomorrow on Political Rewind, uh, because the riots went on for four days, and there are many uh, ceremonies marking uh, uh, that event uh, over the next few days. We're going to talk about it extensively on our uh, show. Okay, um, Greg Bluestein, uh, Michael Owens, who we know well, he used to be a panelist on this show pretty regularly until he decided 
uh, to run for Congress uh, back in the 2018 cycle, and we, we try not to have political candidates on the show, has now announced he's going to run for Secretary of State. B. Wynn is already in that Democratic primary race. Um, what does that do to shake up the dynamic of that race? Yeah, it makes that contest a little bit more interesting and more likely to head to a runoff. Um, it's really interesting to me that when Michael got in the race, uh, you know, he talked about expanding the electorate and protecting the right to vote, like most Democratic candidates. But his real focus was on cybersecurity. He is a cybersecurity expert. Mm-hmm. He worked for he works for Equifax, um, and so his focus is part of it, at least, is on transforming that office to help to make to let it help businesses fight off and fend off and protect themselves from cybersecurity threats, which is not something you usually hear in a race for Secretary of State. So, and it's not just election issues, right? I mean, he, he wants to help the, the county elected officials do that as well, but it's private businesses um, that, that have faced this. I and mean, we all saw with Colonial Pipeline what a major issue that can be to Georgia-based businesses um, that, that, you know, that, that, that have to devote tons of resources into fending off these sort of threats. Um, so, Karen, uh, Michael Owen is an interesting uh, uh, choice for this or candidate in this race. Uh, he was a very, very uh, highly respected chairman of the Cobb County uh, Democratic Party. People thought he was doing a very good job up there. Um, when he decided a couple years back to take on sitting congressman, incumbent Democrat David Scott, there was a reasonable amount of pushback by some Democrats who felt he really shouldn't jump into a primary with an incumbent uh, candidate. It's a couple of years have gone by. I wonder if that sort of thing lingers or, in fact, is of any concern at all to voters in a Democratic primary for a state constitutional office. So I think what it did is it allowed him to build some name ID in a congressional district with more voters than just what he was working with in Cobb County. I don't think it will come back to hurt him, but it does show evidence, which we talk about a lot, that it's not strategic when you want to run for Congress to take on an incumbent, right? It's better to try to seek an open seat. Um, You're just opportunities are better to win. As far as the constitutional office race here, I think what you're seeing with his announcement and the issues is he's bringing up the fact that the Secretary of State of Georgia, that office, does more than just elections. And so he's having that conversation in the Democratic primary, I think, to set him apart and come above this affray. And what we just spoke about prior to the the break, which was the election integrity and pieces and saying, no, this office does more and I can bring a skill set to oversee many facets of that. Um, So, okay, Greg, uh, uh, we'll watch how that race unfolds. Meanwhile, in another race uh, that has drawn, obviously, an enormous amount of interest, Gary Black, running for United States Senate, uh, has tried to make an issue out of the fact that Herschel Walker's wife, uh, he believed, who they live in Texas, uh, she voted in Georgia. There was some question as to whether she voted legally in the Georgia election uh, last year. Uh, but the election board has dismissed that uh, accusation, right? Yeah, and this came into play uh, even before Herschel Walker got in the contest because you know, he's been living in Texas for decades, um, and he just established, he just registered to vote in, in, uh, in Georgia and, and changed his residency a few weeks before he got in the contest. Well, his wife, um, you know, who says that, hey, look, you know, she has a, a home in, in Atlanta, 
Um, she does business in, in Georgia. Uh, his wife voted in recent elections, and that came into question. Um, this was a this was a decision that I saw bipartisan election experts actually praise, because to criminalize you know decisions like this could set a dangerous precedent. They said, and could could allow all sorts of new um, new investigations into local citizens who didn't think they're doing anything wrong, like like his wife. I mean, Mark Nisi, my AJC colleague, interviewed. Um, uh, Herschel Walker's wife, Miss um, Blanchard, and Julie she said, Blanchard. Look, I, yeah. Julie Blanchard. She said, "Look, I didn't know that I was doing anything wrong. I, 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 I still, I'm still in Georgia a lot of the time. Um, so it's a very murky subject, right? I mean, it's 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 easy to misunderstand. It's easy to kind of foul things up without knowing you're 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 crossing a a, a legal line. And in this case, uh, the the Secretary of State's office said she didn't do anything wrong." Well, and of course, uh, Karen, if you're Gary Black facing the football hero, Herschel Walker, who the earliest polls of the race s- suggest is uh, a dominant uh, figure in the race, you've got to find something that you hope will cut away at uh, his popularity. Um, you can't just sit back and hope that Walker, as an active candidate, proves himself not to be the guy who the voter really wants to see, Republican voters really want to see in that office. you got to find something, Karen. Yes, everyone in that primary, right? They have to put their name out there and get it raised above the profile of Walker. He's obviously very well respected in the state for his football Um playing endeavors at UGA, but now, you know, this is one way that Black is kind of calling into question Walker and his commitment, probably his family's commitment to Georgia. How long have they been invested here? Whereas, you know, Gary Black's been agriculture secretary for our commissioner for um, quite a while. So he's been representing the state. I think it's also interesting, though, that you're bringing up a voting issue, given what the Republicans are running on nationally and statewide. Again, it's just calling into more of this questioning of our election system, who's voting and what. And I don't know if the Republicans, how often they want to keep this in the fray. Perhaps they need to pivot and really start talking about what, you know, what, how Walker stands on issues and how they have had solutions and been involved with their experience in government. So let's expand on that just a bit. Greg, I, one of the things that I was intrigued by was reading the response to the dismissal of this uh, charge, this allegation rather, uh, was they, they set out a statement that included this sentence, quote, Herschel is traveling across the state connecting with Georgians. Greg, have you seen any sign of Herschel Walker <laughs> out across the state connecting with voters at this point? <laughs> I, was, uh, I was on a flight when I saw that statement back to Atlanta from San Antonio and I immediately texted Herschel's campaign and said, I haven't, you know, I knew they were going to start ramping things up, but I said, did I miss it? And I was told that he is, uh, by, by his campaign spokeswoman, uh, and we put him in the jolt this morning, but he is slowly gearing up, and he was in Macon and Precise earlier this week. He was in Savannah yesterday doing a volunteer thing. So he's doing, you know, closed press, small things. But look, his first, his first campaign speech is going to be this weekend, and that's at the Donald Trump rally. And you know, I, I don't think it'll be a terribly nuanced speech about all his, where he stands in all sorts of policies. It'll probably be more of a pep rally type speech, but it'll give voters uh, the real first chance to see him live in person off the TV screen. 
Well, we'll certainly have uh, a reporter from GPB down there for that event. I, I suspect you'll be down there as well. What are we expecting from Trump on uh, Saturday? We know that there are the state Republican Party is already talking about making this an all-day affair. Uh, apparently, they're going to show the UGA football game up on a big screen so people can come early. Uh, we assume that Jody Heiss will be there, Burt Jones, people who he's already endorsed for Republicans in their primary fights, and, and Herschel, of course, as well. What are you expecting? Do you think Donald Trump is actually going to talk about anybody but Donald Trump, except a little about <laughs> Herschel Walker? <laughs> I think I think I agree. I think Donald Trump will talk a lot about his grievances and his reporters. It's hard to, you know, we'll, we'll have to not try to amplify um, some of the same stuff that he's been saying for for months now that, it, that is just not accurate. Um, but at the same time, it's a, mo- a major moment in Georgia politics because he'll be up there with his pro-Trump slate. He, I think he'll talk not just about Herschel Walker, but Jody Heiss, his candidate for secretary of state, Burt Jones his preferred pick for lieutenant governor. And so it'll be, and what he says about Governor Kemp will be, will be big too. Um, I don't expect him to change his tune on Governor Kemp, um, but I'm certain that Vernon Jones will be there too, even if he doesn't have uh, Donald Trump's endorsement. Um, so that all play, and, and you're right, this is an all day affair. It starts with like a, a Georgia football watching party. Georgia's playing Vandy and Vanderbilt in, in, in Nashville. Um, and it ends after Donald Trump's speech with the what they call a spectacular fireworks show. So it is like any it is like all the Trump rallies I've been to. They're not just speeches; they're events. There'll be people lined up hours early. There'll be tailgaters for this thing. There'll be food trucks. It is uh, it's like nothing else you've ever been to before in terms of, in the realm of politics. It does remind you a lot more of a football game than a uh, than a political speechifying. Karen, I recall that during the runoffs, you decided that you should check out a Donald Trump rally yourself. And I think went up to one um, up in, where was that rally up in North Georgia? So I did not go to a Donald Trump rally, but I did get to just a oh. GOP rally. I have not oh, entered oh. into the, the Trump rallies because I'm, I'm not sure I... Oh. Um, I'm not sure what to expect when I get to those. Okay, so, I, I apologize. <laughs> no, I, I, I thought you'd be, all right. But so what, What? I mean, you know, the question is, Donald Trump will get up and he'll talk about himself and his grievances, as Greg pointed out. And you do have to wonder, there's already been a reference to this earlier in the show, um, whether the lessons that we learned in the Senate runoff about Trump and his grievances, in fact, hurt Republican candidates. I think this is an interesting test because of the slate of candidates that are trying to vie in these Republican primaries. It's a little different than perhaps what we saw in 2020 going into the Senate elections and then the runoff after. You know, this is a different testing ground. I also find it interesting for Herschel. So I think as a new political candidate, he's doing what he's comfortable with. And if that's going around the state in these small gatherings right now, let's face it, people in Georgia, especially on the Republican side, need to give money to him. And two, they want a photo op with him because he was a Heisman Trophy winner. You know, no matter what your political piece, you get your picture made with him. And then I think Saturday will be the test of how he really speaks and then what the president that relationship shows. Um, but going back to Trump, I don't know that these grievances and the, the conversation will drive messaging. If anything, it could turn out to be fodder for the Democrats to play off of as they're, yeah. they're running yeah. their campaign. All right. 
Karen Owen, you get the last word in today's Political Rewind. Thank you so very much uh, for joining us for the show today. Greg Bluestein down there in Milledgeville, uh, thank you. Uh, hit the road. Get back to Atlanta as soon as you can. Uh, we miss you. Um, so that's it for us today. As I said, tomorrow we're going to spend some of the show talking about the sad anniversary of the 1906 Atlanta race riot. Um, and then on Friday, uh, Friday is a day that a federal appeals court is going to hear uh, the suit that has blocked Georgia's uh, virtual ban on abortion from taking effect. And so on Friday's show, we're going to spend time talking about the implications of that law, the Texas law, and the upcoming uh, United States Supreme Court case on the Mississippi abortion law. So plenty of content in the days ahead. In the meantime, if you have been a supporter of GPB or maybe today became one for the first time, thank you so much. If not, as I leave you, you'll be able to do it in just a, a moment. But in the meantime, take care, stay healthy, wear your mask inside, tell the friend who hasn't gotten a vaccine it's time to get one. And at the same time, get a flu shot. It's right down the street at your drugstore. See you all tomorrow.